Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Can You Dig It, a podcast by the Silver Screen and Roll Network. I'm your host, as always, Jacob Rude. Uh, thanks again, guys, for tuning in this week. A couple weeks ago, uh, I said we were long overdue to have a guest on, uh, so we brought him right back. Uh, Cooper is joining me again today. Uh, Cooper, how are you uh, handling the dog days of summer and NBA offseason? Um, you know, it's been, it's been interesting to follow. I, I feel like the, the big news with, in terms of player movement has yet to come. Um, but, but yeah, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, we're fully in those dog days. Everything's on hold. Uh, you and I talked three weeks ago about Kyrie Irving and Buddy Heald and Miles Turner and still in the exact same situation with those. So, um, not a ton, yeah. yeah, not a ton to talk about in that front. I, we have to start off today a, a little bit of a somber note because on Sunday, um, it was announced Bill Russell passed away, which, uh, I, I tweeted this. I, I think the word legend is probably a little overused, uh, sometimes mm-hmm. tongue in cheek, sometimes not, but Bill Russell was truly a legend, of uh, on and off the court. And just a, a tremendous human being. Uh, there were a number of Lakers and former Lakers that kind of reacted to the news. Jeannie Buss uh, tweeted that Bill Russell was a treasure as a player, coach, and especially as a human. Um, Pal talked about, um, I'll, be, I'll forever be honored to have met you. Thank you for everything you've given to the game and all of us. Uh, rest in peace, Bill Russell. Magic tweeted about being heartbroken to hear about it. Even the Lakers uh, account itself tweeted out um, the definition of champion on and off the court. Thank you for everything, Bill, which just kind of in a vacuum, the Lakers tweeting out a a thank you to a lifelong Celtic that beat them mercilessly (laughs) when he played uh, shows just the the impact he had once he left the game. I, I think a lot of people remember how close him and Kobe were um, later on in Kobe's career. Russell was at Kobe's Jersey retirement ceremony uh, in 2019 when Bill Russell got the Arthur Ashe award at the ESPYs. It was Kobe that presented the award to him. Um, so certainly he has a lot of connections to the Lakers, just to the game of basketball since his, since he had retired I guess what are just kind of your thoughts on on Russell and, and the really sad news today? Yeah, I mean it's it's a huge bummer. He's obviously somebody who like I mean, neither of us grew up with him playing, but for as long as I've watched basketball, he's been like one of, if not the most respected statesmen of the game. Um and like not to be too like hippy dippy but just seems like a really genuine thoughtful present person and and obviously has you know done amazing stuff uh on and off the basketball court um affecting positive change in america um yeah it's just it's just a bummer it's nice to see every just the outpouring for a guy who so clearly deserved it but like we're saying this before recording, like not a lot of people in the world have gotten a lot more out of done a lot more in their lives than, than Bill Russell did. I mean, pretty, pretty remarkable individual. So, yeah. I, uh, I think back to, um, right after Kobe's passing, maybe not right after it was in, uh, it was in 2020. It may have been right after, but he, he came to the Lakers Celtics game in a, Kobe Bryant jersey sat courtside for it just kind of again to the relationship they had um yeah you were right he he was as respected like I don't remember ever hearing a bad word about Bill Russell by literally anybody 
uh, yeah. friend or foe, opponent, teammate, no matter what it was, everybody had just kind things to say about Bill Russell. You had mentioned beforehand he felt like one of those elder statesmen. Him and Kareem were these guys that it, it felt like it mattered to um, – that their opinions on the game kind of mattered more than um, than a lot of the legends that have, have retired from the game. And – yeah, Russell's words just carried weight and it it impacted. I mean, he he mentored a, a lot of uh players after he retired. He he wanted to continue impacting the game and uh he there were I mean, like I've said many times, Kobe was one of the guys he's closest with and that was a Lakers. So there were no like boundaries there or anything. He just wanted to to help grow the game and when it comes to specifically NBA, I think that's going to be one of his lasting legacies is how much he wanted to, to help the game continue to grow. Obviously, he dealt with a tremendous amount of stuff off the court as well, and he, he really became a somebody a lot of players leaned on in recent years uh, as well in that regard. So just a genuine human being, a great person, really awful to see uh, – to see that news on Sunday because it seemingly came out of the blue. Um, but it was nice yeah. to see that uh, they said he passed away peacefully and, and whatnot. So uh, thoughts and prayers out to, to his family and whatnot. And uh, yeah, the, the, the game lost a legend on Sunday. So uh, rough to see yeah. that news. I, it's, it's crazy to think about because like, the game of basketball compared to other major sports is so young. Mm-hmm. So pretty much until Kobe died, like almost all of the greatest players ever were all alive. So mm-hmm. in that NBA 75 thing, which is great that that's now ha- that that happened, you know, even before this, that like basically everybody was in the room, basically everybody could be there. So, um, you know, I'm just glad that, a lot of those top guys got a chance to, you know, be in, in each other's presence at that event. Um, but yeah, this is, I mean, this is really like, like a Mount Rushmore figure of the sport. Um, so to lose him is really sad. Of sports in general, but uh, specifically, in general, for yeah, sure. specifically basketball. Uh, but yeah, he's one of the icons. One of the the players that was involved in that top seventy five, I, I know I saw videos of him interacting with with Russell was LeBron, um, and that's really the only news we have to talk about when it be, when it comes to Lakers specific stuff. Uh, it's something that uh, I know that I, I believe Anthony talked about on Friday's episode, but. LeBron can sign his extension this week on Thursday, uh, August 4th is when they can officially begin negotiating that extension. Um, I'm sure they certainly have not negotiated anything of it or discussed it at all before then, but Thursday is when they can officially negotiate it. And that becomes one of the first, uh, I, whatever phrase you want to use the first uh, moving parts for this offseason for the Lakers since really the opening of free agency. Um, everything's at a standstill when it comes to Kyrie, Russ, Buddy, Miles Turner, uh, whatever combination that is, everything is at a complete standstill there. And now LeBron's going to, I think, be able to kind of use this extension as some type of leverage. Um, I, I guess I'll start off first. Are, are you expecting LeBron to sign an extension on, on Thursday, or you think that it's going to be a wait-and-see approach? Yeah, I don't think it happens immediately. Um, I do think it gets done eventually, uh, especially with all that like, uh, LeBron Loves LA stuff coming out over the past week. Um, I know Michael Corvo, my, my podcast co-host, um, said on record that he thinks it's going to be done immediately, but... Um, there's, and there's definitely people out there who, who think that's likely, and that's definitely possible. You know, LeBron could just want to get it out of the way and then, you know, hand the Lakers some more leverage in a potential, uh, any, any negotiation. So teams know that, you know, it's like the reverse, right? If LeBron, LeBron is no longer pressuring the Lakers, so the Lakers are not under pressure and they can relax and make a move if they want to. Um, but, you know, 
there's probably one person, if there's even one person who knows the answer to this question. So okay. all we can sit back and do is sit back and guess. It is interesting. It's not something I thought about. I do think um, LeBron's going to stay. Like that part I am. Yeah. I'm pretty close to 100% certain LeBron's going to stay. And you mentioned the reports coming out. One of them was from uh, – I scrolled down too, too much here. One of them was from Mark Stein in uh, one of his newsletters this week. Uh, quote, sources briefed on the matter stress that James is extremely happy in Los Angeles despite the Lakers' back-to-back rocky seasons. He and his family, by all accounts, have grown increasingly entrenched in Southern California since James signed with the Lakers in the summer of 2018. So I don't think he is going anywhere. I think, and this is something Stein mentioned, I don't think he leaves until Bronny is in the NBA and they can work out potentially him playing on whatever team Bronny is drafted to, uh, since that seems to be kind of his end goal with the NBA. I think that is when he leaves. That wouldn't be – Bronny's not draft eligible till 2024. Um, and I don't even – I, any extension he signs isn't going to go – he's going to be able to be a free agent in 2024. Um, he could leave as soon as then. We'll see. Uh, but I, I do think he stays in L.A. until then. I even said that dating back to the All-Star break where he went on just a, a host of yeah. uh, talking to everybody, telling him about how Sam Presti was doing great and – and the Cavs were doing great and all this and all that. I still didn't think he would leave. I thought he was just kind of putting pressure on the Lakers. But I I still think um, LeBron's someone that's used contracts as leverage before. He held pretty much held the Cavaliers hostage in his second stint there with all the one plus ones, forcing them to continue to make win now moves to keep the team competitive, which they repeatedly went to the NBA Finals. So it worked. I, I think it worked for both parties, but um, I, I, I just think of that when I think of this, these contract negotiations, because LeBron really wants Kyrie by most reports. LeBron really wants Kyrie on the Lakers. The Lakers are kind of, I don't want to say dragging their feet, but they're definitely taking a slow approach to trading for him and not willing to offer that second first-round draft pick. So I could see LeBron say, I'm not signing this extension until we get Kyrie Irving, which then puts the Lakers in a bit of an awkward spot with potentially trading for Buddy and Miles Turner and whatnot. So, I mean, do you see that? How much of a possibility do you think that would be come Thursday? So here's my conspiracy theory. This is me being all of the parties involved here's what i would do as all of the people to make the best outcome for all of the lakers cited individuals and and parties um Mm -hmm. if i was lebron i would say i need Kyrie, Mm -hmm. and then if i was the lakers i would say you can and will have Kyrie because we will offer those two picks we're just not going to do it until the very last second until we absolutely find out that we have to because if we don't we could potentially do that and the the healed deal and the and or Eric Gordon deal, you know, whatever other move, but the Lakers certainly don't want to handcuff themselves by burning both picks on Kyrie. If they can do one and get Kyrie and then still get more. So my guess is that if you see an August 4th extension, as Michael predicted, that means the Lakers have like promised LeBron that they will use two picks, which could then work against them. You know, that's all the like game theory stuff, I guess that, is impossible to sort of predict for. But if I was both of the parties, I would, on some level, whether he signs it or not, be like, LeBron, we are using those two picks to get the best team for you possible this year. We're just not going to tell anybody we're going to do that. So, I mean, they're not going to say they're going to do that until it happens, if they do do it. But I would expect, very much expect them to burn both picks to improve the roster. Yeah, ultimately, I do think that's what the Lakers are going to do. I think that would simply be... Not that it's a bad thing, but it would be saying the quiet part loud to LeBron that this is our approach. It's going to, we're eventually going to trade those picks, which I do think they will. But yeah, we're not going to do. Literally never done that. They've li- like literally never held the picks. Every single year yeah. they they purge the picks. So why especially now? Polinka? Why? Yeah, especially oh well, yeah, Polinka during Polinka's tenure. Why now? Why when they need most to rebuild would they then be so 
the least will it's because they have the fewest assets not because they're actually the least willing to part with them so this is all just just a, a, a summer long game of chicken one person's gonna peel out and end up getting one fewer pick than they otherwise want but i mean just it's just it's just a game of chicken it is interesting the idea of lebron signing on august 4th because then that puts that alleviates basically all the pressure from the Lakers because other teams are going to be aware that LeBron is holding them hostage if he does not sign that extension or the longer it goes without him signing that extension the Nets are going to look at him look at them and say hey we're not trading Kyrie because we know you need Kyrie to get LeBron to sign that extension too so it, I I think a lot of this comes down to how much trust LeBron and Clutch have in the Lakers front office at this point. Um, how much a handshake agreement or anything to that note that they can trust him on that. And my thought would be that based on the the free agents they signed and, and the deals they made this offseason – Clutch and the Lakers front office are probably on really good terms right now. Yeah, off season's a great time. That's what you know, it's it's or or a preseason is the great time, right? Postseason is when you gotta actually deal with things. But right now you can talk in make believe where Lonnie Walker wins most improved, obviously a clutch line. <laughs> you know, we can we can just say stuff right now. Um but yeah, I I think I, I this is me actually arguing against what I just said, but I also I, I would be wary of signing it on on August fourth, and like both LeBron and the Lakers have a better idea of what signals what than I do. But if LeBron signs on August fourth, maybe that signals to all the other teams that well, of course now the Lakers are all in on LeBron, and so they won't they won't hold the picks because they're all in on LeBron. So I, I don't know; it could go either way, where it's either signing or doesn't signing uh send some sort of a message but it's all up to you as to what the message actually is it's kind of you can spin this in a number of ways to yeah, kind of whatever yeah. fits your narrative and so it's going to be interesting to see what happens on thursday and potentially moving forward for the foreseeable future and and speaking of that future if lebron doesn't sign this extension there is a team uh, a couple thousand miles away from Los Angeles that is always going to have the ear of LeBron, I would imagine, for as long as he's in the NBA. The Cavaliers have been a team that um, this past week um, multiple different people have discussed, would LeBron go back to Cleveland? Because next year they will have a bunch of cap space and they could theoretically just outright sign him into that cap space, add him to Darius Garland, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, that core that they have built right now. Um, on the Mannix and Howard Beck, uh, the crossover NBA show, uh, Cleveland.com Cavs beat writer Chris uh, Fedor said about uh, that possibility, uh, quote, the Cavs aren't sitting here today and saying, LeBron, come to our organization, save us uh, the way they were in 2014. They feel like they have a good thing. They feel like there's more upside with this group. Uh, they feel like they can be a playoff team last, or this year. They don't feel like they desperately need LeBron like they did in 2014. But if he's willing to come and they can keep the roster intact and they have the cap space to bring him aboard, they're in no position to say no to a caliber, a player of that caliber. And I think they know that. Are you worried at all about the Cavaliers getting a third homecoming for LeBron? Um, so two things I think that one, one that I heard and one that I think that would work against that, not that either of these necessarily rule it out. But one, Dave McMenamin said on the Low Post podcast, just sort of like offhand, um, this wasn't a report and probably was him just speculating, but he was like, it's possible that the Lakers work something out with uh, Clutch, who would presumably rent, uh, 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 represent Bronny, that, you know, don't draft him, and then they can, you know, buy a second or whatever to get him, and then it's just he gets to go play with Bronny, but Bronny comes to the Lakers. And right now he doesn't look like he's going to be necessarily a super high 
mm-hmm. um, high prospect. I mean, there's still really long ways to go between here and there, um, but we'll see on that front. And then the other thing is that LeBron very much traded for Anthony Davis and is potentially going to very much trade for Kyrie Irving. Like it is because LeBron is a Laker that Anthony Davis is a Laker and it will be because LeBron is a Laker that potentially Kyrie Irving is. And especially for Anthony Davis, who's on, uh, he signed longer than LeBron. I don't, he could be up. I don't know exactly when he's up. What year is he? It's not 2024, is it? Because then they could both leave. But um, I'm looking that up right now. He's signed, I think, one year longer than LeBron is. Uh, he's signed through the 2024 season. He has an option for 2024-25 that he'll probably turn down. But he's through 2024. Okay. So I guess it's possible that you know LeBron chooses to leave and then he leaves a year later. But it would be such a bad – like all the times LeBron has left a place – it has been because they've let him down first, really. Mm-hmm. Like the first Cleveland one, they couldn't put anything around him. Then the Miami big three imploded um, and really just wasn't like Dwayne Wade just wasn't that guy anymore. Um, and then Kyrie left him. So it would be the first time LeBron like hung his teammate out to dry. And I don't think he wants to do that. I think like he's pretty close to Anthony Davis. I mean, that's the way it seems. I don't know any real reporting to that but I think it would be a tough look for LeBron so one the Lakers could be the team that gets Bronny and two uh it'd be a tough tough thing to do to AD yeah and I think to that point especially they trade for Kyrie this summer like I I don't think LeBron is leaving until for a good while and for him to be a free agent at the same time Bronny would be would be a one plus one type of deal, which perfectly reasonable type of extension. But uh, I'm just not entirely certain the Cavaliers this summer. They're going to be interesting, but I mean, I was surprised last time LeBron went back. Him and Dan Gilbert certainly don't have the best relationship. Um, I think the circumstances were a little bit different when he left last time. They had a really proven young superstar in Kyrie. He could go back. They could trade Wiggins for Kevin Love. He seemingly knew that right away. And you're immediately walking into a big three of proven stars, and you can build around that. And they hadn't won. They've done it. Yeah. Yeah. And as good as this version of the Cavaliers are, they are crazy young. And all their resume has right now, which, I mean, to be fair, Kyrie's re- and Kevin Love's resume didn't have this, but it was just a, the the playoffs this year, the playing game this year and whatnot is really all they've done. Um, I just don't I know if they're, they're on that level. What's up? I have a question for you about this. Let me let me give you a hypothetical. Let's say the cap like the cap, like you said, the Cavaliers have not gotten to that sort of next playoff level where you're like just a piece away kind of thing. Or at least you could tell yourself that. Mm-hmm. The Grizzlies have, I think. Like, the Grizzlies are a step ahead of where the Cavs are at, I would say. Um, is that is that fair? I think that's pretty much fair. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, let's say, you know, LeBron James was a free agent this season. We're fast-forwarding his clock a year. And uh, he's from Memphis. And all of this, the Cavaliers' connection is just Memphis. So, basically, the Cavs are Memphis good. I feel like then, you know, then Memphis Cleveland starts having a little bit of hesitation because they're so in love with their young core. Like they're in this weird space right now where it's like, they're not like, they don't have a John Morant, you know, like context is really good, but he hasn't been that good. Like, do you think there would be some, if, if they got good enough where he would be like, like it wanting to play with a team of that quality, it would almost work against them. I mean, so I guess this would be theoretically if the Cavs had – I mean, the Grizzlies were really good last year. If the Cavs had like a 50-win season and LeBron is sitting there without an extension, yeah, I'd be really worried. <laughs> like, I, I would – feel like the Cavs would almost not want to go like take the ball away from Darius Garland, leader of our 50 wins. Like, I feel like the, the Grizzlies would be like, no, like we don't want LeBron. We have our, our guy. Like, that would create an awkward situation, I feel like. 
I understand the argument. I just being the team that says no to LeBron James is that's a risk. Um, He's also so malleable as a player that he could probably just slide right in and they'd be freaking awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And like, especially if you can add him without giving up anything, which the Cavs will theoretically be able to do. That is a, I think that's just too sweet of a proposition. Uh, You can bring in somebody like LeBron and have him play any of the five positions basically. And just have, like you said, have him just adapt to whatever role it needs to be. The players can adapt around him and he could ride off in the sunset. Ultimately, I think LeBron really, really likes life in Los Angeles compared to life in Cleveland, which yeah. shocker. Um, but <laughs> I, I really think, I, I don't think he's going to go to Cleveland. Um, even as good as the Cavs may look, I, for all the reasons we stated with with AD, with just his family being entrenched was the word that Stein used in Los Angeles. I really think that this is kind of where his roots are for right now. And I think until the Bronny situation develops in 2024, I think this is where LeBron's going to be. And then we can see from there whether – Bronny comes to the Lakers or, or what plays out there. But I really feel until 2024, LeBron's going to be a Laker, whatever the contract looks like. And then you kind of readjust at that point, because as you said, AD can enter free agency. LeBron's contract would theoretically be up stuff like that. You can, you can play it by ear then, but ultimately I think LeBron will sign an extension, probably a one plus one, um, at some point this summer, is that? I mean, it, when it comes down to it, do you it, are you do you think he signs the extension? Then I think he absolutely will sign the extension um, with the Lakers. I agree with you. I think he's going to be a Laker, especially like you said, if they sign Kyrie. Like, there's almost I just can't imagine him getting the team to do that and then splitting. Uh, he kind of did that with the Cavs, but it was obviously a much different circumstance. Um, you know, where he, his superstar bounced on him um, yeah though what we haven't said in our whole LeBron discussion is his age like that's going to be his what age 40 season so like yeah. I, I mean I don't know like he's a cyborg I've you know I, I I cannot comprehend every single time I watch him you know <laughs> like literally every game he does something where I'm like I've never seen that before you're the best player on the floor and also the oldest guy by like 15 years but I don't know I, I don't want to rule it out. He could be awesome at 45. He could be, you know, better than than Jason Kidd at the end of his career at 50. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. But but he's going to be 40. So, like, I'm just saying. I, I, who knows? He's not – he's been injured a bit. Like, it's – I don't know what a 40-year-old LeBron looks like. We're way past the beginning of unprecedented territory. So, I don't know. You're not wrong. I mean, again, on paper – it should happen at some point. It should have already happened yeah. at some point that father time catches up with him. But you said it. He's a cyborg. Like I'm very, at, I'm also very much at the point with LeBron that I'll believe there'll be a decline when it happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like yeah. up till then, I don't expect it. What I will say is that he has been a bit more injured in the past couple seasons. It seems like Darvin Ham really wants to rest him more, which has not been something LeBron has wanted to do. I think there's going to have to be a concession on his part uh, because having LeBron available for 65 games where you get to pick the games is a lot better than what we've got the last two seasons where he's been available for the first, not even the first, he's been available for 40, 45 games, and at the end of the year he's not there. I think there'll have to be some concessions there. But yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Age 40 LeBron seems insane to think about, but the last two what, seasons. Season 23? Is that, yeah. or 22? Like, what? It's just, it's just. <laughs> it, it doesn't even like make Ricky sense. Ricky Henderson, you know, like, yeah. just like play until he's 44, four decades. Like, yeah. And like, I mean, yeah. He, 
it's just yeah and when he's been playing the last two seasons healthy he's been mvp level so like he's also changed he's he's out of anybody who's ever played the sport been able to adapt his game as his body adapts um as well as anybody ever i feel like like his shot making has gotten has gotten kobe level i mean it really has like like the one that sticks in my mind so clearly um uh which you know afterwards lebron posted me incidentally on his instagram but um was the the war the sorry the wizards 50 pointer which came right after the warriors 56 pointer but the shot he hit over kuzma um towards the end of that game it's like you don't have any room he's like flicking it up over with an awkward elbow and wrist action like like he's just sort of improvising within stuff he's already mastered and it's at the highest level against the best defense like it's just stuff you can't even think of you can't even imagine and then yeah. you see him do it with such ease and it it just like mind melting i wish i could drink water that well you know <laughs> yeah it seems like since he's been in la he's really worked on his his three-point shot and yeah there were all the funny moments during the the title winning season where the one that i always remember is when he pulled up from the logo for one of the first times and hit a three and they called timeout and the Lakers bench ran out to the logo, like looking at the spot yeah, that he yeah. shot the, that he hit the shot from. And it, it's just like, there's so many. He did the turnaround one in, in the next year. They didn't win mm-hmm. that year, but he did the like post bubble. He did the step where he shoots the ball, he turned around, high five Dennis Schroeder and then ran back. Yeah. Not looking he, at the, at the swish. That was the high point of that season. Um, yeah, it really was. Uh, they were so good. Yeah, they re- they ended the James Harden Rockets, and then everything was downhill from there. But yeah, yeah, his, his game. He's just adapted. <clears throat> excuse me. He's adapted so much, and like it's wild to think when he came into the league, it was his shot that was just so it was easily his biggest weakness, his outside shot. And now we're in 2022 (laughs) talking about the incredible three pointers he's made from half court almost. And it's just, it's a testament to how incredible of a, of a player LeBron is that he can continue to adapt his game in whatever way the NBA is moving. Um, He's been through through like well I was just going to say he's been through like two or three different like evolutions of the NBA since he's been here. Yeah, definitely. The the whole game itself has changed. Yeah. And uh, according to his his uh recent Drew League results, he's now conquered free throw <laughs> shooting, right? In the ice that game on three free throws. I'm going to be honest, I did not watch that game. Oh, neither did I, but I think that I was, was the storyline out of it. <laughs> I was uh that was me recovering from COVID. I watched it a little oh. bit in the Uber ride, and I was like, you couldn't see half the game because people were standing up. I was like, I'm not going to sit here and watch a Drew League game of Yeah, LeBron. they had some better footage on, on the highlights that I saw, yeah. but yeah, the live feed was like unwatchable. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, um, I would love it if he figured out his free throws because that's been really frustrating, but yeah, he's... There, there's never. It never feels like there's a weakness to his game, and if there is, he fixes it right away. Yeah. And so he's a. It's wild that we're debating how long we would extend LeBron when he's 37 <laughs> years old. He's going to be 38 in this season, and we're fully comfortable giving him a contract until 2024. Because, yeah, like I said, he is. Uh, he's very much in. For me, like. I'll I'll believe the decline comes when it comes. He may just retire at the top of the game at 47 years old for all I know. <laughs> just the absolute marksman. Just yeah. pulling up from 80. <laughs> yeah. He, he's just spot and shoot, turns into Kyle Korver in the latter stages of his career. I, we'll, see, we'll see how that one develops. There's one more thing I want to talk about. You mentioned it beforehand. Uh, Jovan Bua... Uh, had an article for The Athletic talking about the Lakers rotation. There's a couple kind of battles that I I think are going to be worthwhile to watch um, as we 
go through the summer and into training camp, preseason and training camp. The first one is going to be starting shooting guard. Um, Yovan has Austin Reeves versus Troy Brown Jr. as the battle right now. I think you could throw Talon potentially into that. Uh, Kendrick Nunn potentially into that. I think there's a couple different names you could add to that. If you see Lonnie Walker potentially as a guard, you could do that. I don't know that he is, but right now into July as we're recording this, I mean, who do you see as the favorite in the clubhouse for the starting shooting guard spot? Yeah. I mean, like you said, you could go a couple different ways. I think the way you go depends on how you want to play. I mean, none of these guys are like, obviously like clear stars, right? Where it's like, oh, you have to play the best talent there. Like you could say, oh, this is the identity of the team I'm looking for. I want guys who can shoot or I want somebody who's going to be able to be a point of attack guard or I want an intermediate playmaker. I think for a team that was bad on both ends last year, you probably want the guy who gives you the most on both ends. And to me, that's Austin. And assuming that he's able to shoot a little bit better than he did last year, he was very streaky. He had times Mm -hmm. when he was good and then times when he was bad. And if you really tracked it, you could sort of be like he was tired because of X, Y, and Z, but might be giving him too much credit. So um, I I think he'll shoot better, and I think he deserves to be the starting shooting guard, but we'll see. There's a lot of room for movement. He... We were talking about it beforehand. He's just that jack-of-all-trades type where, like, he isn't necessarily elite at anything uh, skill set-wise, maybe basketball IQ, as you, as you said, but he just does everything. He's a, a above-average defender, a streaky shooter, which started off really well, hit some type of rookie wall, finished the season last handful of games decently enough. Uh but there were signs of him being a good shooter mixed in throughout the season. I thought a lot of what he probably needed to do was to just build up muscle and endurance that most guys coming out of college going into the NBA need to do anyway, uh, especially when Austin had to play as many minutes as he had to last season for all the injuries and whatnot. So I think he would be the leader in the clubhouse I Troy Brown Jr. I I really don't know how much of a factor he's going to be. I get some Wayne Ellington type of vibes with him and that he's pretty one dimensional and has a lot of holes elsewhere. Uh, We'll see. Uh, I mean, there's potential that a Joe Harris could be thrown into this, depending on how the Kyrie Irving trade goes. Or Buddy Heald or Eric Gordon are thrown into this. I'm not going to speculate too much on that, but I think if any of those guys are traded for, they're they're starting at the shooting guard position because they are elite shooters, and the Lakers' starting lineup is almost certainly going to need that. But based on the roster right now, I would say it's Austin. I would go as far as saying I think it's really clearly Austin. He's head and shoulders above everyone else uh, coming into the preseason We'll see if Darvin Ham feels the same way about that uh, once things kind of get underway. Another one that'll be interesting to watch is the backup power forward. And Jovan lists Juan Toscano Anderson and Stanley Johnson uh, as your two options. Stanley, obviously, the uh, feel good story of last season, but Juan Toscano Anderson was certainly a fan favorite in Golden State. This one feels a lot more up in the air. Is there one side that you're leaning in this uh, in this battle? I got to see more JTA. Like I, the Warriors were one of the teams that I liked to watch last year for just I mean obvious reasons. How can you not enjoy watching watch Stephen Curry play? Um, but I obviously didn't watch as much of them as as I did of the Lakers, which was you know the entire season. So. Um, I, I need to see more JTA, but I like, I feel like they're almost inverse players a little bit. Like there are some holes, um, in Stanley's probably defensive ability in terms of his like ability to guard up and like be strong, um, against wings and forwards. I feel like he was better against guards. And then it's JTA's sort of like, like feel 
and playmaking ability that I have more questions about. Like, I don't really see him sort of like catching a pass on the short roll and then like diming somebody up on the wing the way Stanley did a lot of times last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of helped him be a valuable or at least useful offensive player without making a ton of threes. And and we'll see if JTA can make threes at, I don't remember exactly what his percentage was, but it was like passable, but he's shooting like no one else in the gym open threes with Steph, yeah. which is not the same as what you get with LeBron. You get open ones, but they're not like quite like that. So we'll see. I, there's just like question marks in sort of both of their games. So this is what we're dealing with, right? These are imperfect players. So you can really answer these questions very differently. There's a reason they're all available for the minimum. Um, exactly, yeah. And I'm a little bit scarred by Kent Bazemore last season signing wing players from the Warriors. Uh, yeah. JTA. I'm deeply scarred. Yeah. I would say yeah. deeply scarred. <laughs> yeah. I, I still can't believe Bazemore was that bad last season. But JTA, sh- for, his car- for his career, is a 36% three-point shooter it was 32 percent last season um this one i feel yeah this one i feel is more matchup dependent i i think i don't know that there's a specific answer that one person is going to be the clear-cut backup for if you're playing a team that goes smaller more you i think you would play stanley because like you said he's he's really good at defending guards he was really really good defending james harden last season for example and you can have him defend those guards, be a bigger body, um, as we saw last year with him as kind of a small ball five and, and things of that nature. If it's a bigger team, uh, maybe you go with JTA, who can guard some of those bigger players a little bit better than Stanley Johnson can. Um, and theoretically, if JTA's shot comes back around, he is the better shooter of the two. Maybe that is more important in a matchup or more important in a certain rotation than Stanley. So this one I don't feel like needs to have a definitive answer. I think you can play this one by ear depending on the opponent, the situation, who's available, who's not, things of that nature. I think both guys are probably going to get some playing time next season uh, because both have like you said, unique enough skill sets from one another that there are situations that are going to call for both of them at different times throughout the year. The yeah, one may thrive and and one doesn't. We'll have an answer come playoff. Time, yeah, you know. yeah, exactly. Uh, the last one that's going to be interesting to watch is the backup point guard battle. <laughs> Theoretically, I would say it should be Russell Westbrook, but that ain't going to happen. He's going to start <laughs> if he's on the roster. Uh, same if it's Kyrie, he's going to start if he's on the roster. I guess it would get interesting if there's some type of Russ deal for Buddy and Miles Turner. Then I guess this is a starting point guard debate, but we're not going to dive that deep again. Uh, for now, this is a backup point guard debate. It's Kendrick Dunn, Austin Reeves, Taylor Horton Tucker. Austin Reeves said uh, in an interview earlier this summer, that he's comfortable playing point guard. Point guard's what he played at Oklahoma, uh, what he played in high school. Point guard's probably the position he's played most in his basketball career. That's just not what the Lakers needed of him last season. Kendrick Nunn obviously is a point guard, um, more of a combo guard, I would say. And then THT is a ball-handling wing. I don't know that there's a specific position you can kind of pigeonhole him into, how do you differentiate these three? I think all three are going to get playing time. Does it really matter if one of them has the label of backup point guard? I would say mostly no, except I think it's really important that the Lakers give THT on ball, if if he's on the roster, yeah. uh, on ball reps early in the year. Because his season was so weird in that it was like so clearly divided up into chunks at times where he had those first five games where he went nuts without LeBron. And then he went back to the bench or he went, I think he was staying in the starting unit, but he went back off the ball, couldn't shoot well. Um, and then his, you know, his numbers fell off the cliff. And then at the end of the year, when everybody was out again, he got the ball in his hands against some really lackluster competition and then was awesome again. So I just, 
I think if you want to make the most out of him, he's actually so good with the ball in his hands. Like he does do, he does have a really elite uh, rim pressure ability. Um, his ability to find hit the right reads or make the right reads um, or pass at the right time um, with that driving ability comes and goes. But there were like there was that Portland game which I think the Lakers lost. That was pretty impressive. Made a bunch of good reads and then. Um, towards the end of the year. I I'm, I'm, can't remember exactly which games, but there are times when he's looked better. So I want to see it. I'm a TXT guy. Like, I'm not going to deny that, but I would like to see that. It was a penultimate game of the year that he had a huge game. I can't remember specifically yeah. uh, who they were playing. I remember it being a, a big game for him. Uh, or no, it was the third to last game. It was against Golden State. He had 40 points. Um yeah. I, I think you have to pretty strongly uh, stagger THT and if he's on the roster, Russ, and to a, maybe not as much of a degree, LeBron. I really don't know that you can have THT and Russ on the court together because both of them need the ball so much that they become really ineffective if they play off the ball. Um, there's enough variables there if it's LeBron that you can get away with it I think these three are the beginning of a really good bench lineup with maybe Stanley and Thomas Bryant or something like that I think those three are going to play together a lot um, as a bench group and in that situation it doesn't really matter who you label as the backup point guard like it would probably be Kendrick Nunn would have most of the ball handling duties, but he's a good enough scorer at every level that he can play off the ball. We saw that in Miami. Reeves obviously can play off the ball. He did it last season. And then I guess in this situation, THT would be the ball handler. Um, I, I think backup point guard... I don't know how much that, again, that label specifically isn't going to matter much. I think LeBron's going to be on the court enough and Russ is going to be on the court enough that. Um, well, wait, let me, let me ask you straight up. Is Russ a Laker? I mean, no, but in this scenario, like right now is kind of what I'm basing this on. I don't think Russ will be a Laker. But I, would, so. I would be shocked if he was yeah. on the Lakers by opening day. I don't think there's a chance he plays another game for the Lakers. Um, I really don't. I mean, it's possible, but I, I, I would be really, really stunned if they, even if they had means sending him home. Like, I really just think it's so unlikely. I think LeBron does not want to play with that guy again. Um, with all the sort of, he prefers Kyrie to Russ. So I think, and, and, and because of that, I think some of the guys that we saw struggle last year, like whether it was Austin or Stanley, um, from from behind the three-point line. Um, all those limitations just get get quieter when you don't have yeah. somebody who like is so un- incapable of making threes. So like like Dennis Schroeder was not a very good three-point shooter, but it it wasn't so loud as it would have been if he was also playing beside Russ. So I just I think there just might the sort of like like you know, like the, you know, the Staples Center sounding like a gun range because of all the <laughs> clanking. Um, like that, that sort of energy is going to quiet down, which I think will just make everybody's lives easier. Um, so I, there's that to keep in mind too with these rotations. When you like need enough shooting, it's probably you don't need as much shooting as you did last year. And I think as well, I mean, Kendrick Nunn's availability is going to be a big deal because he does so many things as a guard that the Lakers did not have last season. It's part of the it's main it's the main reason I think they signed DJ Augustine late in the year because they just did not have a guard like him that could stretch the floor. And having him back I think is going to be really important too because you replace a a good chunk of those rust minutes with somebody like Nunn that can stretch the floor and defenses have to actually pay attention to um offensively then that opens things up again and really changes the dynamic of how defenses approach the Lakers so there's a lot of ways I agree I I 
stunned is the word I would use if Russ is at media day and at the end of September, I've felt that way since he went just scorched earth at his exit (laughs) interview, which I'm going to reference that a lot because I, I will never get over what he did because for a guy that was going to be under contract the next season to just throw as many people under the bus (laughs) as he did current, he was was trying to just maximize the the body count. It was, it was impressive. Yeah, it was. And it was like, he was doing it to LeBron and AD and it's like, like what, you know what the end result's going to be now. So that paired with how LeBron and him, I was going to say how they interacted, how they didn't interact at summer league <clears throat> i think it's pretty clear that his days are numbered in los angeles so it's going to be interesting how much this changes some of these debates because depending on what he's traded for kendrick nunn austin Reeves, and Taylor horton tucker might be battling for the starting point guard position uh if it's not for Kyrie, uh and if it is for buddy and miles turner but there's so many variables that can still change unfortunately They're not going to change, I don't think, until uh, we get closer to the preseason in September. Cooper, thanks a ton for coming on today. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yep, absolutely. We will be sure to to bring you on some more, especially as we try to get through these these rough days of summer. We have a a handful of weeks here that we're really going to have to grind it out. Hopefully the Lakers make this trade. Hopefully something comes about on Thursday when LeBron, uh, his extension can be signed. We get some move it. So we have some stuff to talk about. So we aren't talking about the what ifs with Kyrie and Russ and all that for this whole summer. Like it feels like we're going to do, but be sure you guys are subscribed to the podcast, wherever you're listening to us at, leave that quick rating and review helps us out a ton. Uh, appreciate you guys listening and we'll be back next week.